Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya From Nabhaga, Maharaj Ambarish took birth. Maharaj Ambarish was an exalted devotee, celebrated for his great merits. Although he was cursed by an infallible Brahman, the curse could not touch him. Sri Rajovacha Bhagavan Srotam Ichchami Rajarashesthasyadhi Mataha Naprabhudyatra Niramukto Brahmadando Duratyayaha King Parikshit inquired, <coughs> o great personality, Maharaj Ambarish was certainly most exalted and meritorious in character. I wish to hear about him. How surprising it is that the curse of a Brahmin, which is insurmountable, could not act upon him. Sri Shukuvacha Ambarisho Mahabhaga Saptavipat Vitim Mahim Avyayam Chasriyam Labdva Vibhavam Chatulam Bhuvi Menet Hirdulabam Pungshang Sarvam Tatswapna Samstatam Vidwan Vibhava Nirvanam Tamovishati Yat Puman Shukadev Goswami said, Maharaj Ambarish, the most fortunate personality, achieved the rule of the entire world, consisting of seven islands, and achieved inexhaustible, unlimited opulence and prosperity on earth. Although such a position is rarely obtained, Maharaj Ambarish did not care for it all, for he knew very well that all such opulence is material. Like that which is imagined in a dream, such opulence will ultimately be destroyed. The king knew that any non-devotee who attains such opulence merges increasingly into material nature's mode of darkness. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. For a devotee, material opulence is insignificant, whereas for a non-devotee, material opulence is the cause of increasing bondage. For a devotee knows that anything material is temporary, whereas a non-devotee regards the temporary so-called happiness as everything and forgets the path of self-realization. Thus, for the non-devotee, material opulence is a disqualification for spiritual advancement. Mm. It is very easy for one to appear to be detached when one has nothing. Just like there is the famous story 
of the man who had a beautiful offering of rice that he prepared for his own personal sense gratification. And then a strong wind came and the rice went flying in the air and he knew that he had no power to control keeping that rice. It was gone in the wind. At that time, he folded his palms and said, Sri Krishna, I offer this to you. So this type of renunciation is not very difficult. But when one, by the grace of God, has so much, but uses nothing for his own sense gratification, but rather sees that all is God's property, all is meant for his enjoyment, and if I touch even one particle of it for my own sense enjoyment, then the noose of material bondage will tighten around my neck and I will suffer. Therefore, such a person has no attraction for that which is temporary. And even if he does have attraction with his good intelligence and by the mercy of the sadhus, he sees that to enjoy anything of this world is like drinking poison. Manusya Janama Paya Radha Krishna Nabhajan. Narottam Das Thakur has sung like this Samsara Vishana Lay, Divani Shihiadwale, Judaiti Nakhainu Upai. That here I am in this material existence, which is like a blazing fire. And I have attained by some great, great fortune this human form of life. And in this human form of life, at every moment, I am given the most wonderful opportunity by which I can serve their Lordship, Sri Sri Radha and Krishna. But still, I am so, I am so attached to ignorance <clears throat> that I continually aspire for sense gratification and therefore willingly, moment after moment, I am drinking the most deadly poison. Here we read about Ambarish Maharaj. He was the most fortunate personality. Why is Shukadev Goswami considering him so fortunate? Uh, Shukadev Goswami was a renunciate of the first class order. He was so renounced that he would not even accept one thread of clothing for his body. And of course, he was living sometimes in the mountains, sometimes in the jungles, sometimes in Himalaya, burning hot summers, freezing cold winters. He did not concern himself with these temporary pleasures and pains of the body. He would drink one cup of milk per day and he never touched anything else his whole life through. He wandered through the jungles naked, 
no clothing. And just so that people would not honor him as being very great and very austere, he pretended to be a madman so that everyone would only insult him, ridicule him, make fun of him, and give him no honor whatsoever. You see, sometimes people become very renounced just so they can enjoy the adoration of being renounced. That is just another type of sense gratification. Some people like very gross, gross, gross sense gratification. Some people have a higher taste for something more subtle. But Shukadev Goswami spit at the thought of both gross or subtle sense gratification. Not only was he living according to the highest principles of material renunciation, but he arranged his life so that he would only be insulted, ridiculed, and condemned for it. Huh? And here, Shukadev Goswami, who has such a high realization of tapasya, nirmama, that nothing is mine, he is glorifying as the most fortunate Maharaj Ambarish, who had more prosperity than any man in history, according to this sloka. He had unlimited opulence and prosperity on earth. He had most magnificent palaces. He had ruled the entire world. You know how much these egomaniac-like rulers of the earth today want to conquer some little section of the earth? How much sense enjoyment they get from that? They have a country, they can get one more little country, then another little country, they ah, just see how powerful I am. Ultimately, they want to conquer the whole world. But in our modern history, we have never seen any of these eccentric Um, imitation gods conquer even a very large portion of the earth. But Ambarish Maharaj had the complete earth planet under his control. Everyone bowed their heads before him. And yet, Shukadev Goswami is glorifying such a person. Shukadev Goswami's position was he was at the highest level of celibacy. His father, Veda Vyas, in order to carry on the good name of the family, was very anxious to marry him so that he could have children. That means Veda Vyas Maharaj would have grandchildren. Shukadev Goswami's other name is Vedavyas Priya, is it not? Isn't that the name of Shukadev Goswami? What is? What does Vedavyas Priya mean? That's Shukadev Goswami. What? It's Krishna. It's also Shukadev Goswami. Are you saying Shukadev was not dear to his father? One name can have many meanings. It's like Krishna means all attractive, Krishna also means black. 
Yeah, 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 of course. <coughs> so, Shukadeva Goswami was very dear to his father. He was the only child, the only son. But Shukadeva Goswami was so completely against the thought of having a family and getting entangled in all this messy business of having children and everything else that he just walked out. Sixteen years old, he came out of the womb of his mother. He just walked out. His father was chasing behind him. Even before that, he wasn't even willing to come out. Veda Vyas had to go to Dwarka to get Krishna to come back and convince the child to come out of the womb. He was so against any material entanglement. And then when he came out, he just walked away. And his father was chasing after him. Don't. You cannot renounce the world. You must come home. You must live with the family. You must, have, you must get married. You must have children. What is this renunciation? Does that sound familiar? Anyone who wants to follow in the footsteps of Shukadev Goswami, guaranteed your parents are not going to be very happy about it. But Shukadev Goswami just kept walking. And his father relentlessly would not give up. So finally, Shukadev Goswami decided, all right, by Krishna's grace, he's given me some mystic power. So he created another illusory person that looked exactly identical to him. And Vyasadeva thought, oh, now I have nice son. And he has agreed to come home. And then that illusory, false Sukadev Goswami created by his mystic potency went home, got married, had children. This is explained in the Bhagavatam. By Sukadev Goswami. And then the real Sukadev Goswami just wandered into the wilderness. So sometimes brahmacharis think, oh, bihastas, look at them, they have wives, families, how could they make any spiritual advancement? But here, Shukadev Goswami is praising and glorifying Ambarish Maharaj as the most fortunate of all personalities. And he's about to, in several chapters of the Bhagavatam, with his heart and soul, glorify this personality who was living in a big palace, who had a wife, and who had children. Huh? Why is this? Does this seem like a contradiction? Those who are superficially conceptualizing spiritual advancement based on one ashram or another are in great illusion. Real detachment, Rupa Goswami explains, is that whatever we have, whatever position we have, we utilize all facilities, all energy for the pleasure and the service of Guru and Krishna. Ambarish Maharaj, because it was the need of his devotional service to be a king, because there was a need for him to be married, for the need for having family, need for living in palace, need for conquering other lands, he did it. He accepted it. But he had no attachment for any of these things. He lovingly 
brought up and served his family, but he didn't consider ever that it was for my sense enjoyment. It was as a service, as a caretaker of Krishna. Therefore, even the greatest of all renunciates, Shukadeva Goswami, is practically bowing his head at the feet of this king. Because whatever he did was for Krishna. In Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela, we have a very similar example. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had the most beautiful and chaste of all wives. He had the most loving, caring of all mothers. He was living in a very simple, but really the most opulent situation. Such sweet friends and associates all around, nice home. But because he saw the great need for preaching in the renounced order of life, he gave it all up and lived in the austere ashram of sannyas. And of course, Rupa Goswami, Sanatan Goswami, they were living in opulent circumstances. Raghunath Das Goswami, he had a beautiful wife who was as charming and as devoted as an angel. He had the wealth inherited from his father, which is equivalent to a multi-multi-billionaire. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ordered them to give up everything, to live in the forests of Vrindavan, only wearing a loincloth and begging for a little dried bread once every few days, but always immersed in the transcendental loving service of Radha and Krishna. On the other hand, we have such great souls as Shivananda saying, Maharaj Prataparudra, Adoita Acharya. Nityananda was living in the life of a renunciate. There is no record that he ever took sannyas, but he was living as a brahmachari. And he was an avadhuta. He had no consideration of material conditions of life. He was simply immersed in the glorification of Krishna's name. But in Jagannath Puri, one day, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Lord Nityananda sat under a tree and spoke for a long time in private. And just after that, Lord Nityananda went back to Bengal and married two wives. Vashudhi and Janavi, the two daughters of Suryadas. So it is understood and explained by the great Acharyas that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ordered him to marry because it would be the best thing for preaching, for him. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was preaching to one sector of society who could only be reached by those in the renounced order. But those in the renounced order have many limitations and restrictions of who they can contact. But if a grihasta bends some of the rules too much, nobody really minds. So therefore he told Lord Nityananda to marry. And after Lord Nityananda married, 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explained that this Lord Nityananda, if he is seen in a brothel, in a bar, with an unchaste, low-class woman, I will only glorify him because I know it's for Krishna's service. Whatever he does. So Lord Nityananda, he accepted the Grihastha ashram under the order of the topmost of all renunciates. Why? Because it was the best way he could serve Krishna. There was no question of even a trace of material attachments. After many, when Shivananda Sain met with Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu after some time, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who had given up all material entanglements of association with women and so forth, he asked Shivananda Sain, how is your wife? I heard you have a new baby. Where is this baby? And the baby, he brought this baby and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu played with the baby by putting his toe in the baby's mouth. And the baby started sucking the Lord's toes. Huh? Because Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu understood that Shivananda Sain is doing as much service as any of the Goswamis. And he is as dear to me as any of the Goswamis. He told Raghunath Das Goswami, get out of this household life. It's like living in a pit where people pass stool and you are like a worm living in the stool. Get out. Huh? And he told Shivananda saying, oh, how is your nice wife and children? Very nice. You are pleasing me very much. It's not that one is better than the other. They were both engaging in their particular occupations as an act of service. So here, Shukadeva Goswami is praising and glorifying this great, great king. And Shukadeva Goswami, in his humility, is never thinking himself better than anyone else. The nature of a great devotee is that all other devotees are more fortunate than himself. Sukadeva Goswami is explaining here that despite the king having more facility for sense gratification than anyone in the whole earth, he did not care for it at all. For he knew very well that all such opulence is material, like that which is imagined in a dream. Such opulence will ultimately be destroyed. The king knew that any non-devotee who attains such opulence merges increasingly into material nature's mode of darkness. So this is the great, great importance of associating with saintly persons and very carefully hearing from them the truth, which is that I am eternally Krishna's servant and everything is meant for his service. That is the perfection of life. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu explained 
ना हम विप्रो न चा नरपतिर न पिभाइश्यो न शूद्रो न हम वारणी न चा गृहपतिर I am not aspiring for being sannyasi, nor grihasta, nor vanapras, nor brahmachari. I am none of these things. Nor am I a brahman, a chachya, a vaisha, or a sudra. I only have one position. All these designations are temporary and illusory. There is only one true position to aspire for. Becoming the servant of the servant of the servant. Anu means atomic in size, insignificantly small, servant of all the servants of the Lord. Gopi Bharatur. Gopi Bharatur means more or less Gopinath. Huh? Lord Chaitanya was talking about Gopinath. He aspired to be the servant of the servant of the servant of Gopinath. Bharatur means husband or lord. Nath also means husband or lord. So just see how fortunate we are that that very lord that Mahaprabhu Sri Chaitanya aspired to be the servant of has appeared right within our own lives, within our own temple. This was his goal. This was his ambition. And we are about to read the wonderful, wonderful story which illustrates the unparalleled and celebrated detachment, humility, and devotion of Maharaj Ambarish as explained by Srila Shukadeva Goswami. Is there any questions? Why did he behave in that way? Because, you see, he was not attached in the slightest. But it was his service to Krishna to convince his son to carry on what he was doing. Shukadeva Goswami had his service, Vyasadeva had his service. They were both purely thinking in terms of how to fulfill their responsibilities in Krishna's service in life. Hmm? And by the arrangement of Krishna, they were both satisfied. Huh? After all, Dasarat Maharaj was a liberated soul, but he could not live without Ram. That was not a defect. That was his love. He? Lord Nityananda, Hadai Pandit, his father, after he left this world to, to accept the renounced life of a mendicant. Within days, his father died of separation. Is that a disqualification? It was, it was his glory. He had so much love for the Lord. 
The inhabitants of Vrindavan simply cried for the rest of their lives after Krishna left Braja. But that is not a material attachment. You see, Veda Vyas, he understood his service to the Lord and he understood his son to be a great celebrated liberated associate of Sri Krishna. Huh? So actually this story further glorifies Vyasadeva for those who understand the inner meaning behind it. Is there any other questions? Yes. in the ninth canto? Yes. Maharaj Parikshit asked him. Shukadev Goswami was explaining a particular dynasty and he said Shukadev was the son of Yasdev and then he explained the son of Shukadev. Maharaj Parikshit said, wait a minute. How can there be a son of Shukadev who is the son of Yasdev? And then Shukadev Goswami explained this pastime to him. We can show you. It is in the ninth canto of Bhagavatam. Any other questions? Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.